Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really incredible story and it's a story here, you know, of a founder that has been building, scaling, financing. I mean, he really understands, you know, how that looks like and also what it looks like. But also we're going to be talking about the private equity uh, side of things today when it comes to the transactional uh, side of the equation. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Tom Ellis. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So originally born in Seattle. I know that uh, you moved uh, eventually to Oregon. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Life was good. You know, I uh, moving from one city to another one is always an interesting move. And then uh, so we first landed in Eugene, Oregon, and a few years later uh, moved up to Salem. Uh, I was a bit of a sports nut growing up. I uh, played basketball most of my life up there. And uh, yeah, lucky enough to be a part of the uh 96 uh, state champion basketball team up there. That's amazing. That's amazing. So it sounds like you had the leadership, you know, piece covered, you know, which uh, obviously you are executing very nicely nowadays. You had the dealing with the uncertainty covered, you know, from moving. I guess, you know, how do you think that all those different, you know, aspects, uh, whether it was the leadership side, you know, playing sports or the uncertainty of moving to new places, making new friends, the unknown, how do you think that all shaped who you are? I mean, I think playing sports is a big deal. I think, it, you know, I try and instill this in my daughter today, too, is that one of the things you get from this is the ability to focus and learn how to work hard and understanding that you are out there. There is competition. And uh, if you don't put in the effort, you're not going to get the reward. So it's part of uh, part of playing sports and a big part of uh, growing up for me. And what about dealing with uncertainty? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that just happens basically in anyone's life. You know, uh, world was a little different back then. Um, I think it's funny. Uh, no one asked me back then if I wanted to move. They just kind of did it. Um, but, uh, you know, kids have a little bit more control these days and uh, a few more opinions. But all in all, I think, you know, it can be a good thing. It can be a challenge. And, you know, just like anything else, you got to find your way to work through it. Now, in your case, you did a little bit of selling, you know, advertising. You did the selling of uh, equipment for fitness. So a little bit of everything, you know, when it came to selling. So um, before, that was obviously before you became an entrepreneur. But I guess, how, do you, how, do, how important do you think selling is? And how important do you think really understanding and mastering that has helped you when becoming an entrepreneur later on? Well, so I, I mean, I think everyone should have a sales job at some point in time in their life. I think it was incredibly important to me. Uh, 24-hour fitness, you know, really taught me a bunch of what it means to, uh, again, put in the work, grind out phone calls. You know, back then it was a, a small area. And we all had to learn how to pitch in front of each other. Um, so w once I got to staff care and staff care was, you know, much more of a, uh, um, you had to make your 100 phone calls a day. My recruiting class there was like 27 people within the first two weeks, about half of that was gone. And without my time at 24-Hour Fitness and learning how to grind it out and be there and work, it could be a little overwhelming for some people. Um, so that's why there was so much turnover. I mean, by the time I left staff care, I think there was only three out of 27 left. 
by the time I actually uh, wound up leaving myself. So, you know, you kind of start with that foundation and what it means to to sell and to work and to understand how to make money with a phone. And then that translated into being successful at staff care, which then as I started my own company, it was a lot about, you know, knowing how to just sit down, put in the work, make the phone calls to try and be successful. Now, let's talk about being successful, because obviously you've definitely made it happen with ShiftKey, but it was not that easy to get into <laughs> it because it was ShiftKey, the result of a pivot. So what happened there with the pivot? I mean, what was that original idea? You know, you guys eventually shut it down and, you know, eventually you landed on ShiftKey. But what was that sequence of events that needed to happen for ShiftKey to see the light of the day? Yeah, so it was definitely a long, a long road. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes along the way, learned a lot of things along the way. Uh, my first company started in 2011. I was just going to get into physician staffing myself. I had a partner join who knew the nursing side. And uh, that became what we eventually turned into Shifty because I had walked into his office one day and he was trying to fill a shift. And back then it was all done by phone. So it was one shift at a time. You know, it was literally... Will you take this two to 10? Will you take this two to 10? Repeatedly dialing the phone. And I said to him, if, uh, if that's our plan, we're never going to be able to scale this as a business because you're limited on having time to recruit new nurses and, and do more work. So I, I was basically like, let's post these shifts online, see if the nurses will log in and pick them up. Uh, luckily enough for us, uh, they did. I just had used some third-party software to get that done. Um, and eventually I approached them about, you know, I'm working with nurses in particular right now. Um, I don't want to put anyone to work that may have an expired license or an expired credential that they need. So I can, can I get some expiration dates built in? And they told me, uh, no, thank you. It wasn't part of their business model. And so then I had to try and figure out how to get software made on my own. Uh, I was fortunate after a, a couple of follies, I got introduced to a friend of a friend who was running a development shop out of Austin, Texas. and. Uh, we started building then what is ShiftKey. So it took us almost three years to get that built. Um, and that's when we shut down uh, my old company and pivoted into ShiftKey. So there's one more thing that we did along that road. It wasn't just the credentials, but previous company, we used to do the, the old school way also with the client side. And that was, you know, call them and try and get the needs out of them to post them in, in the uh, system. New one, when we got to Shifty, was allowing the clients themselves to log in and post shifts and the nurses to log in and fill shifts and the nurses to register themselves as they're going through that. So it really created a marketplace instead of you know, a staffing company, which is what we had been before. Now, in this case, I mean, three years to build you know, the, the, the platform, the technology, I mean, that's, that's, that's insane. I mean, probably I'm sure that you thought many, many times to give up. Because, I mean, three years is a long time. Why, why so long? Well, so, again, the, uh, the guy that I had building um, Shifty for me was uh, running his own personal dev shop. And along that way, a few times, he took a few other full-time jobs. And uh, so I had to convince him to come back. And eventually, um, he was uh, working at Under Armour in Austin. And I was like, okay, it's the time. It's time for you to just join us full time and let's get this thing started and kicked off the ground. So uh, once he finally agreed, you know, I shut down the old company. I, uh, 
I hired six of the people that had worked for there to move into my townhouse and everybody worked off my ping pong table to try and get Shifty off the ground. Um, so it was a very pivotal moment and something that we just needed to do um, because, you know, part of even the learning process for me on, on getting software developed was more than just, hey, I, I need a two-sided marketplace. I had to figure out a lot of that ahead of time. So I spent a long, long time. The first time I tried to outsource the build, um, I got a wireframe back that was like 10 pages or so. And uh, over several months, I eventually turned that into 72 pages. And that's what I sent down uh, to Ralph to get started on version one of ShipKey. Because it's, it's a little bit about figuring out, okay, well, what happens if I click this and what should that do? And what does it mean for the worker? And what does it mean for the facility? Because for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of ShiftKey? How do you guys make money? Yeah, so it's a, it's a two-sided marketplace, right? So we have uh, facilities that need nurses right now, and we have nurses who can log in, request the work shifts. So the cool thing about it is that it really does empower the nurse to do what they want, right? So it's they work where they want, when they want, for how much they want. And on the facility side, they get the choice too, right? So they get to post the shifts, they get to approve shift requests, they you know, get to fulfill their schedule in that way. So most of it right now is in post-acute market, which is you know, long-term care, skilled nursing, assisted living facilities. Um, but at the very onset, you know, we knew that this had potential to do more. And so that's why we built you know, shift key, not nurse key. So it's really around uh, specialties, skills, credentials, and shifts, All right? So if you think of a specialty, it's like your RN versus LVN. Skills is what are they comfortable doing? Uh, the credentials that verify that they can do that work and then shift-based. So um, we do think that there's a lot of potential for other industries in this, although we've tried to remain very focused on the post-acute market for right now, and then we'll eventually expand into other, uh, other avenues. Now. In this case, I mean, building a marketplace is very complicated. I mean, you have the supply, the demand, you need to have the liquidity in the marketplace so that people are able to find what they're looking for in a short period of time. I always say that this is like the chicken and the egg, right? Uh, I mean, you want to shoot the chicken and step on the egg, you know, because you are so <laughs> frustrated in the process of building this. Now, how did you guys go about making sure that you had that liquidity in the marketplace and 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 how did you go about finding the weakest side of the equation so that you can you you could really build that up quickly? Well, so there's been a nursing shortage in the U.S. for years, right? And we had already been posting shifts at the previous company online, so we knew that the nurses would log in and start picking them up if we built the demand side up with the facilities. So the big question when we pivoted over to ShiftKey was: Are the facilities going to log in and post shifts? And sometimes that was a bit of a challenge, right? Because as a, a, a nurse or a staffing coordinator working in a building, if they needed help, they were used to picking up the phone and calling someone instead of logging into a system and posting needs. So it was a lot of education, but luckily we had had um, you know, some good clients who had worked with us and were willing to continue to post shifts to then build up the supply side of the nurses to be able to come in and eventually you know, work. Now, you guys bootstrapped the operation. 
I mean, which is remarkable because typically on those marketplaces, you need a, you know, quite a bit of money to really get the networking effects going in the right direction and, and get the community, the marketplace to really work in the, in the, in the right ways. Now you guys fully bootstrap this. Why? Why did you bootstrap this, you know, versus maybe taking some VC money and, and having a little bit more oxygen? Yeah. So I, like, I would have loved to have had some VC money at the very beginning, but unfortunately I wasn't too good at, uh, at raising any capital back then. I didn't even know it was possible. So when I, uh, I started, it was just an $80,000 SBA loan with my first company. Um, I eventually got that to be more. Uh, I thought the banks would work with me through a lot of this. And uh, it was funny, like we, we got, we went from the 80,000 to like 300,000 and we outgrew that by putting people to work. And I went back to the bank and I said, hey, I did it, did my job. I got all this money deployed. Can I have more? And they said, well, come talk to me next year. So it was one of those things, but also when we made that tr transition, uh, I went to a factoring company and a factoring company is one of those that will just buy your invoice from you. Uh, and it, they get a bit of a, uh, a bit of your revenue, but it allowed me to scale in a way that I never had been able to before. So even though I didn't have the VC money, I wasn't working with runways, uh, I just, or, or burn rates, I, I had the ability to still scale my business in the way that I needed to, but it also re relied on me needing to get the sales and have the people go to work in order to be able to do that. So we had to be profitable, you know, very early on. And we were, you know, it was, it was how I made my livelihood and what we needed to do. So from that sense, it was great in that, you know, we're, we're not a company that's out there that has, you know, zero profitability. We, we do make money here and we, we are going to continue that as we move forward. It's uh, kind of one of the core things that we do. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. Would you say that perhaps bootstrapping also was a little bit, a little bit challenging too, because you're on a very thin line and you don't have that much room for errors because obviously an error could be fatal. So. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that you probably dealt with with some of those moments that you're like, oh, boy, you know, here we go. This is we're like about to hit the cliff. 
Yeah, so I, I've got a few good stories about that. Uh, probably the funniest one was even at the first company, I had to walk into uh, my sales guy's office and said, if you book one more shift this week, we're out of business because we won't be able to pay the nurses. So one of the biggest problems we have is actually getting too big too fast was, was one of the main things. And then later on, you know, I, I found myself, you know, driving down to our biggest client's office every Friday afternoon to collect a stack of checks to go put them in the bank before four o'clock. So that way I could pay the nurses who had worked over the weekend. So yes, we've, wow. we've definitely walked some very fine lines to make sure we got all of this done. Um, but you know, that's, that's part of being an entrepreneur and part of what you got to do in order to get the job done. And then what about growing the team? Because I mean, obviously now, you know, you guys, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit, you know, you, you've now landed some money, some capital, uh, there's like 300 employees, uh, another 300 from another investment that you guys have done. So how did you go about also growing the team in a way that, that it was sustainable, uh, so that you wouldn't, you know, grow too fast on the, on the, on the payroll? Well, I mean, I guess the first thing first is, uh, you know, in the sense of some of those hard lessons that you learn uh, along the way is we had a few debates back uh, about you to grow a team top down or bottom up. And uh, we learned through this process that top down is the, is the way to go. All right. You go get the best leader you can and let them build their team. Uh, and I think that's important for a lot of reasons. But probably the most important, if you're at a rapidly scale and growing company, if you have someone that's... Uh, you know, kind of more of the worker that you're hoping to make a manager, that's great, but they're not going to scale at the speed that the business is scaling. So if you have someone who is, you know, good to great, they're going to have the ability to still scale and grow their team and manage it all in the right way. Um, but that was one of those first things I learned from private equity as well. Um, you know, when I, when I first did the deal, I, I actually told them, uh, now that I'm a real CEO, what's the expectation of me? And they told me, be a good recruiter. Uh, so that really played on my strengths because I had spent you know, quite a bit of years being a position recruiter uh, at one of my previous companies. Yeah, no kidding. So let's talk about the capital side of things uh, because you know, in this case, you guys took money from private equity. Uh, and after bootstrapping the operation, you, know, you had this profitable you know, uh, uh, company. Why? Did you think that it was the the right thing to do at that point in time to take you know that one hundred and fifty million? I guess best place to start with that as a story is and when we first started doing this and we we're looking around and and nobody else is doing anything like what we were. Uh, so we eventually got a couple of years down the road. We started seeing some competition out there, and we knew as a team that it was probably time to try and mature a little bit as an organization to go out there. So. Uh, we made a plan to do that. I guess one of the other funny things to say is our, our accounting process when we got the deal done was just export to QuickBooks from Shifty. Right? I didn't have a single financial person in the building, so I don't have any background in finance at all. And I had largely done most of the jobs myself that Shifty had. So uh, as I'm going through and trying to recruit people, I know what they're going to have to be doing at scale to be able to you know succeed. Um, but that's really what it was. It was it was time to mature the business to try and go after even more market share to be one of the industry leaders. Now, I mean, obviously, first and first and foremost, before even getting the money, how was that process of um, you know the 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 getting the PE firm and 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 closing the deal? Also, you know, you had built something meaningful, so making sure that uh, you were 
you know, looking at all the different angles and making sure that things were done right. So uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so uh, it was um, early 2020 that I met with uh, an M&A company first and told them that by the end of the year, we were going to try and get a deal done with private equity. They said, great, uh, come back and see us in November. Um, but obviously then going through COVID and the the increased demand and all the stuff that happened there, it became a, uh, you know, a even faster scaling business for us because nobody else in that time could fill shifts the way we could fill shifts. Um, so I went back to them in, you know, I want to say it was May. So not that, that, not that much longer and said, Hey, I think that we might need to get something working earlier. And they said that they thought they actually had someone for us on a buy side. Um, so they were going to represent the buyer um, instead of us. Um, so it took a month or two. They became uncomfortable. You know, we obviously didn't have the financial functions in house at all. We're doing the best we can, but so they passed. So then we started our actual formal process after that. So uh, that kicked off early November. We had LOIs. I think you know we probably had ten or more um, by the time we were done with that. Um, started going through diligence after picking one, and they started trying to change the deal on us a little bit. So mm. we had had multiple offers. So we went back to Lorient and said, hey, if the deal still stands, we're in. They did all of their diligence, and we finally got it closed on St. Patty's Day of 21. Wow. So then how, how much time all in all? I mean, I've spent a lot of time in market at this point because, you know, even growing faster and faster after the transition. Um, you know, there's more and more opportunities. So, as, yeah. um, you know, it, it hasn't slowed down at all, I guess is probably the best way to say that. We continue to uh, be out there and in front of investors and, and working and, you know, getting the latest deal done uh, was obviously a big win. And we'll talk about this now. So, obviously, $150 million, uh, there was a majority, uh, uh, it was a majority investment. Now, how how would you say that the dynamics changed when the money came in? You know, especially the corporate structure. You know, you were used to probably the, you know, doing things quickly, QuickBooks. You know, like more like the bootstrappy way. Now, when you receive external money, you know, probably it gets a little bit more serious and professionalized. You no, know, the uh, the operation. So, were there a lot of changes in that regard? You know, there's some, uh, you know, not everything moves as quickly as what it used to. Um, but a lot of that is just around security and making sure I, I don't think we're so big now that we don't still move with speed. Uh, but, you know, when you're doing it all yourself, obviously things can move a little faster. Now, they helped me be more professional and get the right people in the door so we could scale faster. Um, but one of the big things, you know, with, with us is you still you got to be able to get the work done. So there, there's no excuse of we're going to do things slowly around here. We're still moving very quickly, as, as quick as we can. So tell us about the 300 million that they got injected, uh, you know, um, a little bit later. So all in all, 450 million, uh, first tranche, 150, and then the second tranche of 300 million, more of a continuation vehicle, uh, sort of saying. So tell us about that uh, that deal too, and how would you say that has impacted also the, the operation. Yeah, I mean, so that's not money that's just directly injected into Shifkey. Uh, that's more for our private equity company to be able to pay off some of their investors, uh, take some chips off the table and, and allow the company to still grow. Um, so day to day for us, it's still just about going out and trying to accomplish the goals that we have. And it's about, you know, 
having the vision and the mission and the values all done. So that way you can go out and do those things. But, you know, getting deals done with private equity is great. Obviously, you know, you get to take home um, some money along with that, but uh, it doesn't really change how we operate the business on day to day. And I've, I've been very fortunate in that our private equity company has been a true partner to me. So things that I need to bounce off of them, ideas that they have, we, we work really well in tandem together. So um, Lorian Capital has been great. Now, let's shift gears here for, for just a little bit. If you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of ShiftKey is fully realized, what does that world look like? I've been working a lot in this post-acute market, right? We did our, our strategic investment of OnShift. And so OnShift does the scheduling side for facilities. So if they want to schedule their employees, that's what that tool is used for. Um, but we noticed going through and doing the deal with them that, you know, those facilities were missing a ton of shifts. And so this would give us the opportunity to use our work workers to fill those uh, positions. So that's kind of step one is being able to take and give to the market this, you know, machine that helps them with a lot of their problems. The majority of the problems that they have at a facility basis is revolved around staffing. Uh, and how do they staff their people? How do they get the uh, you know, independent workers through shift key and have it all blend into one unified place? Now, expand that even further. Um, you know, there's so many industries that could benefit from this. Um, you know, I, I don't have them all down. We've dipped our toes a little bit into dentistry just to see what that looks like. There's the therapies that are out there. And there's lots of industries that are just even outside of healthcare altogether. Um, so again, it goes down to specialty skills, credentials, and shifts. If, if we can bring this, you know, uh, and we can be the platform for licensed workers, right, to have the ability to work independently, choose, you know, where they work, when they work, or how much they work. That's the, the long-term realized vision. Now, here we're talking about the future. So let's talk about the past with a lens of reflection. So if I could be, bring you back in time, you know, back in time to that moment that you were thinking about building something and you were able to give one piece of advice to that younger self, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Well, I mean, the, the most important thing is it's all about the people, right? You you can do a lot of wonderful things with a lot of wonderful people around the table with you. And understanding that is incredibly important. And I got really lucky with some of the people that I worked with. I, I've been fortunate also with the people that I've recruited since getting things done uh, a little bit more. But, you know, there there's no perfect answer. I think the thing for a true, you know, entrepreneur is understanding that you're going to have to put in the work still. Um, but knowing that there's also great people that are out there that can help you do that. You don't have to do it all yourself, although sometimes it's going to feel like that. Now, I guess in the, in this, in this journey as a founder too, I mean, I guess as a follow-up to, to, to lessons learned and learning, I guess for your development as a founder, so that you were able to grow at the same pace as the company, what would you say has been the book? or maybe like the resource that has impacted you the most when it came to achieving breakthroughs as a founder? So for me, a lot of that was understanding what my job was going forward, right? And I got a lot of that from Lorient when I had that conversation, what, what's the expectation around me, mm. right? Because 
if my job then is to grow this executive team and be a great recruiter and get the right people sitting around the table with me, that makes a lot of things go a lot smoother than otherwise they might. Um, so there isn't uh, a, a particular book that uh, I thought was just that changed my life. I did really like Tribe of Mentors. If you haven't read that one, I think it's great. It's a lot of different perspectives around the same set of questions, which I thought was great because you know there isn't one answer to anything. Uh, there's different approaches to a lot of things. And I, I think that's what I like about that. I love it. Now, for the people that are listening, Tom, that would love to reach out and say hi. What is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, I mean, we have uh, lots of options for you. Shiftkey.com obviously is the is the main one, um, but there's also, you know, we have LinkedIn and Twitter and all, all of the normal social media uh, avenues. Amazing. Well, hey, Tom, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.